to Galatians chapter 1 with me. Galatians chapter 1. You might notice when you came in church today, um, the slight musk of bacon in the air. Uh, We had a small lock-in this past Friday for some of our older kids, and they cooked bacon. And we learned very quickly, when you cook bacon in this building, it saturates the walls forever. So um, we'll never do that again. But uh, also, I wanted to say it was pretty exciting. Yesterday, we were able to help seven families through the Finding Hope Center, seven different families taking beds, um, couches, took a couple washers and dryers, invited them back for an event that we're going to be doing in April where we're going to connect them with a ministry that specifically reaches out and ministers to those from other faith backgrounds. And so very exciting what God continues to do through the Finding Hope Center as that continues to develop and take off. And um, that's worth celebrating. That's pretty, pretty awesome. So today we're continuing our series that we called God's Space, Learning to Walk by the Spirit, Walk in that, uh, that vein of where we walk by the Spirit, walking with Jesus, not in legalism, not in just utter total freedom. I'm just going to do whatever I want because I'm saved, but learning to walk that line of what it means to walk by the Spirit of God, walk with the Spirit of God, and living in the freedom that He offers us. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to look at our next set of verses here, closing out chapter 1 today, week number 4 of this series. God's Word says this, starting in verse 13 of Galatians 1. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. Remember, this is Paul writing this letter. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries among many people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with anyone. Verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and I came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, or uh, that's also known as, as Peter when the Lord changed his name. And I stayed with him for 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God I'm not lying in what I write to you. Verse 21. Afterward. I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, and I love this last couple of sentences, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word for this day, the privilege we have to gather, Lord, as, as your church. And God, I pray now as we study this next section of verses, Lord, that, Lord, as you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to this church, Lord, you're continuing to speak to us today. So, Father, would you give us the ears we need to hear from you this morning? God, would you give us soft hearts in order to receive that which we need to hear from you today? And God, would you give us those hands and feet that we need to live out whatever truth you teach us, whatever truth we encounter in your word? God, that we could live this out the rest of our week. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So a little over nine years ago, my wife and I made one of the bigger moves, one of the bigger transitions in our lives. Shortly after getting married, we decided that it was time to move away. We had taken a new ministry position. And so we were going to move away from where both of us grew up in southeast Columbus into a new community on the southwest side of Ohio known as Lebanon. And I can remember the, the tears and some of the emotions we were experiencing as we packed up our U-Haul there in Lancaster, Ohio, and made our journey and our trek down to Cincinnati. 
And if you've ever ventured to Cincinnati, which I'm sure many of you have before, if you've gone down to Kings Island Creation Museum, something down there on the, the Cincinnati part of Ohio, you've probably made that journey on I-71 more than once. That's the main road that you take to get from Columbus down to Cincinnati. And so over the next three years, when we were living in the Cincinnati area, it seemed like at least once a month we were making that trek from Cincinnati to Columbus to come back and see family. But if you've ever driven I-71 before, I'm sure you've noticed this very random thing that's on I-71. It's the random billboards. If you've ever driven that, that route from Columbus to Cincinnati or Cincinnati to Columbus, you're always seeing these random billboards. Let me give you an example, and if you've driven this, this is going to make perfect sense to you. If you've driven from Columbus to Cincinnati on I-71, you'll notice there's a lot of cornfields surrounding that interstate, and you'll look about. Let's pretend that it's, it's full. It's peaceful. You're overlooking the cornfields. You're enjoying a nice, peaceful drive because there's nothing but cornfields there on I-71. And then you get about halfway on your journey. It's peaceful. You're enjoying time with your family. And you happen to glance over on the left side of the road, and you've seen this random billboard out of nowhere in your peaceful journey that says these three words, hell is real. Y'all seen that before? Fun fact, I learned this this week. The guy that erected that billboard spent $8,000 to put that up. I could do a lot more missional things with $8,000, but that's a story for another day. You just see that random billboard. And this past week, I was thinking about, I was driving through Columbus, and the, the number of random billboards that we have throughout, scattered throughout Columbus, advertising restaurants, new opportunities, so many of them lawyers. Have you been injured? Call this number. Right? Billboards are everywhere. Now, Y'all know I love stories and I love illustrations. And you're probably thinking, Aaron, where the heck are you taking billboards this morning? Here's what I've never thought. And this helps me understand biblical truth. This helps me frame in what Paul is saying in these 11 verses. You know, when I'm driving down to Cincinnati, when I'm driving through Columbus and I see all of these billboards, not once in my entire life, I'm 33 years old, okay? Not once in my entire life have I driven by a billboard before and thought, you know what, that is such a nice billboard. Like, honestly, like that is one of the most beautiful billboards I've ever seen in my life. And I'm glad today that I drove on this highway to simply see that billboard. It's amazing. And I'm guessing you've never done that either. Because what's the purpose of a billboard? You never look at a billboard to admire the billboard. You look at a billboard to focus on what the billboard advertises. Right? That's the purpose of a billboard. The reason that they put up these large structures, the reason that they're so big on the side of the highway, these big metal and wooden structures there on the side of the road, is not for you to admire the structure. What do you admire? What do you focus on? What do you pay attention to? What the billboard is advertising. And for me, that frames in Galatians 13, 1, 13 through 24. That frames in what Paul is doing in this next set of verses. That's the lens in which helps me, and hopefully you a little bit as we journey through this, see this part of Galatians. Because we're going to read several things here about Paul, and the temptation for us is going to be to read these and be like, wow, Paul is amazing. Paul has accomplished so much. Look what Paul has done. Look at all of these things that, G, that, G, that, that Paul has accomplished and the things that he's been able to do and so many of those things. But Paul transitions us in these verses, and we'll really see it in verse 24 in just a moment. Paul tells us, he says, no, 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 I don't want you to see me as lifting up Paul. That's not the goal. 
Everything that I've accomplished, everything that's been done through me is so that I can be a banner and a billboard for Jesus. I'm the structure that supports the message. I'm the structure in which Jesus is being advertised to the world. We're going to see in these 11 verses really three things that Paul's going to do. If you like to take notes, you could write these down. Paul's going to remind us in a moment of his past in Judaism. If you were with us in our Philippian series, Joyful, several months ago, we saw in Philippians, we're going to look at that in just a moment, that Paul was quite the accomplished Pharisee. Paul had accomplished so much in Judaism, and he points us to that here in this set of verses. Secondly, Paul's going to point us back to his conversion. We saw that just a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was traveling on the Damascus road and Jesus intersected his path. And then he closes this out as as you're seeing Paul kind of say, like, this is everything I've accomplished. This is all the great stuff that I've done. Paul, in the very last couple of verses, says, let me remind you of my mission. Because it's not about me. The hero of these verses is not Paul. The hero of the verses is Jesus. Paul doesn't want us to read these and be like, Paul is awesome. That's not the goal. The goal is to read these and say, Jesus is awesome. Jesus has done amazing things through this guy. Paul says, by the time you get to the end of these verses, I want you to think about how amazing God is. That would be the mission accomplished for Paul. He wants to promote the work of Jesus. So look back at our verses in your Bible if you have it open or turned on. We're going to start again in verse 13. Today we don't really have any maybe distinct points, not point one, two, and three. We're just going to journey through this verse by verse and help us understand. And then maybe if we do have a point, we could say it's the very last verse, which we'll close out with. So verses 13 and 14, Paul writes these words. And I want to read it again to make sure it's fresh in our minds. For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. He says, I intensely persecuted God's church. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism. We talked about that a moment ago. Beyond many contemporaries among my people. Why? Because I was extremely zealous Paul had a deep passion for the traditions of his ancestors. If you've been with us the past three weeks, we've said this many times over and over, but after Paul traveled to Galatia, you remember we talked about that week one and two, he had started these new churches, shared the gospel, planted churches that immediately after him, not a very long time after, that the Judaizers had showed up there in Galatia. They were uh, kind of tricking, almost deceiving these Galatian people. And part of what they were doing was they were getting the Galatians, if you recall, to question the authority of Paul. The Judaizers were coming in and trying to dismiss the very things that Paul had taught. We believe, based on the context of these verses, that what was happening is the Judaizers were kind of saying, look, Paul is just taking the gospel that the apostles were already preaching, and he's manipulating it to fit his own agenda. He's taking what they had said and he's manipulating it to become a people pleaser. Look again there at verse 13. Paul says, for you've heard about my former way of life. Who did they hear that from? Who did the Galatians hear those words from? It was from the Judaizers. And Paul reminds us here, he says, no, no, no. The gospel that I brought to you in Acts chapter 15, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, Paul says, no, 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 that wasn't from a human source. I didn't get it from the apostles. I got it directly from Jesus. I didn't manipulate what they said. I took this message that Jesus gave me. Jesus intersected my life on the Damascus road, and now I have apostolic authority because I've been commissioned and sent by Jesus himself to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So this is kind of a little bit of review, but hopefully this is helpful to you. 
Then Paul goes on here in Galatians 1, starting in verse 14, to kind of address not only the authority he has because he was sent by Jesus, but the authority that he has in the teachings and the traditions of Judaism. The Judaizers were trying to elevate themselves to kind of some sort of spiritual superior authority. And Paul comes back in in this letter and he goes, uh, actually, I know more than you. Uh, actually, I know a lot more than you about this stuff. Actually, I have more understanding probably than the Judaizers do about the very things in which they come and teach. Look at this in Philippians chapter 3. We were in these verses several months ago, but if you want to turn there in your Bible. Philippians chapter 3, when Paul wrote that church in Philippi, and really the whole letter is about joy. But he talks about in that letter how much he had advanced in Judaism. And listen to what he says, Philippians 3, we're going to start in verse 4. He says, if anybody thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, because again, the Philippians were dealing with the Judaizers too, who were saying you have to do all these religious endeavors, engage in circumcision, follow the Mosaic law, engage in the traditions of the ancestors. You have to do all of those things and also salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's how you get to heaven. You got to do all this physical stuff, plus the spiritual side, and then you're going to get to heaven. But look what he says here in Philippians 3. If anybody thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You could take that one verse right there and plug that over into Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. Paul says, I have more. Why? Because I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what a, a good Jewish boy did. That's what a good family, a Jewish family did. He said, I was of the nation of Israel. He was Jewish, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the favored tribes. A Hebrew born of Hebrews. That meant his mom was Jewish and his dad was Jewish. He was a full-blooded, purebred Jew. He said, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee, meaning he had been uh, risen to the highest level of religion in the Jewish system. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. We'll talk about that in a second. And regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul says all the rules and regulations that the Mosaic law laid out, I followed all of them. Can you imagine? You and I, it's not even, what, I don't even know what time it is. It's 10.48. You probably sinned 13 times this morning, if I had to guess. Paul says the whole law, I did it all. No problem. What's he telling the Galatians? What's he reminding the Philippians? Yes, I have a Jewish background, but not only that, I excelled in all things Judaism. I excelled in all things law. By birthright, by the things I've accomplished, risen among ranks, everything. I excel beyond everybody. Who are these Judaizers trying to question my authority? But then continue going here. It says here that he tried to destroy God's church. We could read that as a negative. Like, Paul, why would you do that? Why would you destroy followers of Jesus? What we forget is Paul thought he was doing God a favor back then. By destroying God's church, Paul believed that he was excelling more in his religious endeavors. He believed that he was excelling more in what God had called him to do because he was intensely persecuting Christians. Because he thought he had to destroy any false versions of God's religion. He thought he had to get rid of them. It's interesting there in Galatians, there in, in verse 13 and 14, that word destroy is actually it's a hyperbole in the Greek. Like it's an intended exaggeration. Paul's trying to show us here. He's like, I didn't just seek to destroy the church. Like, like I went over and above and beyond to destroy anything and everything related to Jesus because that was going to hinder the cause of Judaism. You see, Paul thought he was doing God a favor by protecting the traditions of Judaism and eradicating Christians. 
So now these Judaizers come into Galatia and they say, who's Paul? What kind of authority does he have? And Paul just kind of transitions this here and Paul's like, what do you mean who's Paul? Who are you? Paul's like, I know everything. And then a little bit more. You think you're awesome? I'm awesomer. You think you've accomplished a lot? I've accomplished a lot more. Like I just, Paul's a very sarcastic writer. If you didn't realize that in the Bible, read the New Testament letters of Paul. He's very sarcastic. Paul is like my spirit animal in the scriptures kind of thing. Because I just picture him going, you losers, as Pastor Joe would say. Like, you losers. Who are you? Paul says, I've been there. I've studied that. I gave my life to it. No matter what accomplishments you have that want to puff you up, Paul says, I can puff up more. But I love where he takes us in verse 15. Because despite his accomplishments, Paul transitions and it's like, but Jesus. Paul says, man, I've rocked it in being Jewish. But Jesus. I've accomplished so much, but Jesus. What a posture for the Christian to take. No matter how amazing you think you are, no matter how much I may accomplish in my life, no matter how many grandiose things I may do in the world, the posture of the Christian is, should always be, but Jesus is better. He's always better. No matter my feeble efforts, they're filthy rags in comparison to what Christ has done for me and invited me into. I love that posture that Paul takes. Look at verse 15. He says it there, but when God. Paul uses that phrase a lot in his letter. Sometimes you'll just see the phrase, but God, but Jesus. I love that. But, but God, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone. No matter what I've accomplished, it doesn't matter in comparison to what Jesus has done. That's my role and mission as a Christian, is to do what? Is to promote Jesus. Everything that you accomplish in this life, whether it be in business, in family, in your marriage, anything, friends, don't miss that truth. It is a platform to promote Jesus. It's never to promote ourselves. If God gives you a platform, it's to make his name famous, not our own. If he puts you on a platform in any capacity, it's to make Jesus famous. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why we exist, is to elevate the name of Jesus and to make the name of Jesus famous. Let's let's zoom in on verses 15 and 16 a little bit more. We see what he accomplished in Judaism, what he accomplished in religion. But God had a bigger plan and calling. Notice the incredible language there. I, I love this picture Paul gives us. God, who set me apart in my mother's womb. Isn't that such a neat picture? Again, we could, we could take this verse and we could talk about the life issue in our nation and we could, we could run that rabbit trail if we needed to, which I think sometimes we do, obviously. But it shows us here that God is sovereign over every detail of our lives. That God has a sovereign plan for every life in this universe. That God cares about every detail of my life and your life and everybody's life from the womb all the way to the tomb. I love this imagery that Paul gives us here. You see a similar imagery in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 with the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, verse 5 says this. He says, I I chose you. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. It's that womb to tomb mentality that God has over our lives. He's sovereign over it all. 
I set you apart before you were born. See, God has a plan for my life and your life before I ever take my first breath in this world. If God is sovereign over eternity, past, present, and future, God is never caught off guard when someone is born into this world. God has a plan for their life. It's something he calls them to do. And we need to step into those things and be obedient to Jesus and do that. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Similar language used by Paul in Ephesians 2.10. We've used this verse before around here. A general calling God has on the life of every believer. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship, that's a, a, a crafting term, a carpentry term. We've been intricately and specifically built by God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not to save us, but to show us the Jesus that has saved us. Good works don't save, Jesus saves, but good works are an overflow of Jesus who saved. So that's good preaching, Joe. We were created in Christ for good works. Why? Which God prepared ahead of, ahead of time for us to do. Why? Because he had a plan for me in the womb that will take me ultimately to the tomb where I'll cross over into eternity with him. God has a plan for my life. Here's the most uh, freeing thing that I think about all the time. I can't screw it up. Right? Because my God is so sovereign, the Bible says, that I can't screw up his plan. But I can choose to be obedient to it. And even if I run this way, as soon as I repent and choose to run back to him, he'll meet me there and we'll pick up the plan. Oh, Joe, we're on it today, bro. David used similar language in Psalm 139. This is David like, like praying back to God, praising God. Look what he says. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's that womb phrase again. It's, it's neat in the Hebrew there. Um, knit together in my mother's womb is like almost like a, uh, like a crocheting term. Um, it's this idea of weaving together many colors to make a beautiful tapestry. Um, that God takes all of these random things and he, he weaves you together in the womb of your, your mother to make just this beautiful creation. It's actually, I heard one preacher talk about one time that that phrase actually means that when God was done making you, that he stood back and he said, wow. Like, look what I've made. Not because you're awesome, because he was awesome in doing it. Like, look what I've created. This is amazing. Look at this. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. <laughs> look at this. Ephesians 2.10 mirrors this. Jeremiah 1.5. Galatians chapter 1. All my days were in your book, and they were planned before a single one of them began. You are not purposeless. You're purposeful. Nobody's an accident. That is a perpetuated lie that the devil's using around our world right now with so much depression, suicide, and anxiety running rampant. We have this idea that we're somehow accidents, meaningless, and we have no purpose. My Bible says the opposite. I have to preach truth to myself all the time that God has written my days in his book before I was ever born, that I had a purpose before I was ever made. That's incredible to me. So why does Paul include this passage here in Galatians 1? Why does he tell us that he was called out from his mother's womb? Number one, it's, it's to assert that authority again. Paul wants to make sure that the Galatians understand the authority that he possessed as an apostle. He wants them to understand, like, look, I have authority in the gospel. I'm an authority in Judaism because of what I've accomplished. But also, Paul's like, I'm also an authority because I have a unique calling on my life from God. Like God commissioned me to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Like I'm, I'm like blazing new trails. 
And you guys are part of it. Yet, when we step back, I want us to frame this in a little bit, because this is so important for the Christian. It's that idea, again, that no matter what earthly accomplishment I may engage in, there's nothing greater than being a child of God and being on mission for Him. There's nothing greater that somehow, sovereignly, the God of the universe can move me from an enemy of Him to a friend of Him in an instant. There's nothing greater. Like, how do I go from a purposeless, hell-bound sinner to a purposeful, heaven-bound saint instantly? It's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has invited me into. But notice again in verse 16 there in Galatians chapter 1. So God set me apart from my mother's womb. And then verse 16. So he revealed his son in me. And then Paul shows us what was his purpose. What did God call him to do? So that I could preach Jesus among the Gentiles. That the reason that God saved him was so that Paul could live his life on mission. Remember, we said several weeks ago, we had this like vein that God almost ran in of, of the Jewish nation. But in Acts chapter 2, it's like the family was just open wide. Any and every nation was invited into the family of God. And don't miss this truth today, friends. Let's make an application of what Paul's saying here. When Jesus intersects your life, he calls you to go. Like that, that's a great lesson we could take from this. That if Jesus intersects my life, if he saves me, redeems me by his blood, that he then calls me to go with his name. You see, I, I remember my pastor growing up. He used to say this all the time from the pulpit. He'd say, when God saved you, he didn't save you to sit, soak, sour, and stink in a church pew. Isn't that good? That's not why he saved me. He never saved me so I could engage in religious things, try to be the best version of myself and just do church things once a week for an hour and a half. That's not it. That every time in the scriptures when you see Jesus save somebody, they're mobilized to mission. You see, salvation causes movement 100% of the time. Right? Jesus has this task, this opportunity, this calling on our life to minister the gospel to those around us. Again, we say this so much, Christianity is a personal relationship with God. It is. It's absolutely a personal relationship with God, and we need to engage in that personal relationship, but don't miss this. Christianity is also a public proclamation of Jesus. Uh, Christianity is not a faith that's just meant for me. It's for we. we. We preach the gospel to each other. Joe and I were talking about that this week. My, my first calling is to preach the gospel to those in the family of God. To remind them that the gospel speaks into every area of their life. If your marriage is hurting, the gospel is the solution. If your parenting is hurting, the gospel is the solution. If you're having a hard time at your job, the gospel is the solution. If you're having self-doubt, the gospel is the solution. 100% of the time. So we preach the gospel to each other. But then we're invited to preach the gospel to those in our spheres of influence throughout the week. I'm not asking you. We don't have to go grab a, grab a bag of pistachios in the checkout line at Meyer and share Jesus with somebody. But it's living like Jesus has changed our life all the time. Why? Because we've been called out by God for a purpose to minister Jesus to those around us. You can't tell I'm passionate about this. Now look, verse 15 and 16 again. Paul points us back to what happened in Acts chapter 9. The, the son, Jesus, was revealed in him. But notice at the end of, of verse 16, he says, I did not go, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Again, he's addressing an accusation made by the Judaizers. They were saying that Paul learned his lesson from the apostles. 
that everything he had, he was taught by the apostles, then manipulated it depending on the crowd he was talking to. He's a people pleaser, a message manipulator. Paul says, that's not what happened. I didn't consult with anyone. I'm going to attack this accusation head on. Verse 17. We're going to walk through these details quick because this is some historical stuff, but it gives us insight into what happened with Paul after his conversion. Verse 17. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and I came back to Damascus. Again, this is the same stuff that we see recorded in Acts, but it gives us a little bit more insight into what Paul had going on. So after his salvation, Acts chapter 9, Paul says, I did not immediately go to Jerusalem. That would make sense, right? Get taught from the apostles. Instead, he says, I, I went to Arabia, which was kind of in the vicinity of Damascus. Then from Arabia, it says that Paul then goes into Damascus. From there, Acts chapter 9 says he met Ananias. You probably remember that story. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. And for three years, Paul was there in Damascus, like learning the gospel. Jesus was teaching him. He was growing in his faith. What's he doing? He's attacking the Judaizers' accusation. They were saying, well, Paul got saved. He just went straight up to Jerusalem, heard the apostles' message, manipulated it to fit the Gentiles. Paul says, that's not what happened. I got saved, and I met with Jesus for three years. And the message I give you is what Jesus gave to me. I love this stuff. Maybe you don't like this as much, but I think it's awesome. Verse 18. Then after three years, I did, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Stayed with him for 15 days, two weeks. Didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the, Lord brother, the Lord's brother. And I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Three years pass from Damascus. Paul finally makes his way up to Jerusalem where he spends time with Peter and James. Pillars in the early church. What's he doing? He's sharing with them what God's doing among the Gentiles. Paul's like, i got to share this stuff with you because Jesus is doing some incredible stuff. Acts chapter 9, it'll be on the screen. Same event of Galatians 1, 18 through 20. Now in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they didn't believe he was a disciple. You think, you know, uh, just a little bit before Paul was killing people and then he shows up in your church. He's like, hey guys, I'm going to hang out and preach. <laughs> Can you imagine if that happened here? Some convicted murderer that you saw on TV a few years from now like shows up. He's like, hey guys, got saved. Can I go teaching the kids? <laughs> We'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> sit. Unless we were really low on volunteers then we might consider it, okay? <laughs> That's not true. That's a joke. So please don't email Nikki or me. I'm just kidding. So Barnabas, be thankful for Barnabases in the local church, the encouragers. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, Acts chapter 9, and how the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly the name of Jesus. You see, we need more Barnabases in the church, encouragers. People that are willing to walk with us in the ugliness and the muck of life, wrap their arms around us and say, let's go together. I love Barnabases. So Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Again, I just love that. Because the apostles are like, he's a killer, let's keep our eyes on him. Paul's like, fine, I'm going to go in the streets and preach. <laughs> That's so good. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So when the brothers found out, the disciples... They took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, what's going on here? Fifteen days, Paul says, he spent time with Peter and James, the Lord's brother. What would he do? He'd go into the, God, the city and he's just preaching Jesus to anybody and everybody that would listen. He was debating with the Jews about the gospel and what Jesus was doing. Paul was fearless. I read some Bible teachers, and again, we're taking a little bit of liberties here, that believe that because the time frame was so short... And that Paul makes it pretty clear there in Acts and here in Galatians that he spent a lot of time preaching. 
that actually the reason that Paul went to Jerusalem was not to learn from Peter. Sometimes that's the approach that we take. Peter, like pillar of the church, right? On the rock, I will build my church. That's Peter, the Pope. Just kidding. Okay? That, it, it, that, that Paul went there to Jerusalem to learn from Peter. But a lot of Bible teachers say, actually, that's probably not what happened. Probably what happened is Paul went to spend 15 days with Peter to teach Peter. To teach Peter the gospel. To make sure Peter fully understood what Jesus was now doing among the Gentiles. He wanted to make sure Peter had a firm grasp on what was going on. And we can't know that for certain, but if you read Peter's two letters, First and Second Peter, you do see a pretty heavy influence of Paul upon Peter's writings. Peter respected him, and they were going to work together to reach people. Verse 21 of Galatians 1. Afterward, so he spent that time in Jerusalem, 15 days. I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I can't say that word. So just like Galatia, these were two regions there in that ancient time. This is where Tarsus and Antioch were located. If you read Acts chapter 9 through 13, you see Tarsus and Antioch mentioned here. So what's going on? Paul was sent off to Tarsus for his protection. We saw that there in Acts chapter 9. Then in Acts chapter 13, he was ministering in Antioch. That's where he was sent off on his first missionary journey. You can see how Galatians and Acts, it all ties together. If you're not a history buff in the Bible, this means nothing to you. That's okay, because we're almost done, and you can go to the buffet and go hit up Frisch's or whatever you need to do, okay? Two more verses, three more verses. So he's in Tarsus, he's in that region. He says, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches who were in Christ. We're going to talk about that in a second. They simply kept hearing. He who formerly persecuted us, what's he do now? He preaches the faith that he was once trying to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Take note of that. One thing you're going to continue to see about Paul, he never sought a platform. Paul never sought a platform. We said that in the beginning. That's a good goal for the Christian life. Never seek a platform. But if Jesus gives you one, use it for his glory. Paul shows us there in verse 22. He says, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches. He didn't go seek them out. Paul did not go on like a new book tour where he's like, killer to evangelist, 15 steps to get right with Jesus and change the world. Like, he never wrote that book and then went on the book tour. He never started a YouTube platform. He never opened up a Facebook page to try to promote his speaking abilities. Paul never did any of that stuff. But he says, they just kept hearing about it. As I was being obedient and preaching the gospel, people just kept hearing about what Jesus was doing through me. That he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And that takes us back to the very beginning. Who's the hero of these verses? It's not Paul. As Paul wraps around these 11 verses here, we see... He says, the hero was never me. They're seeing what Jesus is doing through me. That Jesus is the hero of my story. That there's something different that Jesus has done in my life, and he's the hero. And our last verse, because Jesus was the hero, they glorified God because of me. They weren't glorifying Paul. They were glorifying God. And friends, we are taught to seek platforms in our culture, 
right? Because if you want to change the world, you have to influence the world through a platform. You have to build the biggest platform that you possibly can. You need the attention and glory and fame from people, and then you use that to influence them. Paul shows us something different. He says, I never sought a platform. I wasn't seeking my own glory. I wasn't trying to get attention from all these churches. Instead, everywhere he went, he just held up Jesus. It's like that billboard. Look at this. It's not about Paul. It was what he was advertising and who he was showing them. So they didn't look at him and go, wow, Paul's amazing. But everybody that looked at Paul and said, no, Jesus is amazing. My goodness. So that's the application. That's the goal. That's the calling. That's what we pursue. Jesus. We hold up Jesus. Jesus is bigger. May he be greater and we be less. That's the goal. That's what we learn from Paul here. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks so much for your word, for the time we've had in it this morning. God, I pray that it's encouraged your church. Father, I pray that it mobilizes us to live on mission. God, that it mobilizes us to take Jesus anywhere and everywhere we go. God, to champion the cause of Christ, to champion the name of Jesus, to show the world around us that there's something better, there's someone better, and his name is Christ. Father, I pray now as we sing that our voices are just a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven. God, we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.